My name is Alan Smithson, your host for the XR for Business podcast, where we interview industry leaders who are either making or using immersive virtual, augmented, and mixed reality solutions for business. From marketing and sales, to logistics and training, to design and remote collaboration, learn how the world's largest organizations are implementing an XR for Business strategy and why you should too. The XR for Business podcast is brought to you by My Employer Metaverse, a global leader in XR strategy and product development. Metaverse has a range of products to help you leverage the transformative power of virtual, augmented, and mixed reality in your company. Today's guest is Elizabeth Barron. Elizabeth has been a true pioneer of virtual and augmented reality as the global lead for immersive realities, bringing together multiple disciplines throughout Ford Motor Company. Developing multiple immersive realities using VR, AR, and MR to provide information in context to the design studio, multiple engineering teams, UX developers, and computer-aided engineering analysis, and many more. Elizabeth has seen dramatic changes from huge room-sized multi-million dollar cave systems to haptic seats to car cockpits made out of wood. From the promise of virtual reality to it becoming real, Elizabeth has been an industry leader always pushing the limits of technology. She has just started a new venture called Immersionary Enterprises to provide probability spaces where an enterprise can study any potential reality or the art of the impossible or possible with a host of relevant data. These realities can be shared across a global connected work team for more collaborative decision making. Immersionary Immersionary Enterprises aims to establish a holistic immersive reviews as a near-perfect communication and collaboration paradigm throughout industrial design and engineering. It is with great honor that I welcome VR pioneer Elizabeth Barron to the show. Welcome, Elizabeth. Oh, thank you for having me, Alan. That's uh, quite an introduction. I really appreciate it. Well, you certainly deserve it. You have been in this industry since the very beginning. You have seen some incredible changes and and maybe you can speak to kind of what you've seen in the last 30 years of being involved in virtual and augmented reality from you know where you started to where you are today yeah sure Um, it's actually quite a transformation i've witnessed it um really blows my mind in some regards so way back in the day uh when i i started my career at ford motor company um, virtual reality was out there, but it wasn't really uh, a thing in enterprise per se. Um, and I really became interested in it and started working with it, I would say, before its time. So around the late 90s, I started uh, working in um, that space and putting together like a, a life-size human model that could scale to different proportions which um, we tracked the human through magnetic motion tracking. And since cars are made out of metal, (laughs) that posed a little bit of a problem. So we created a wood, uh, like oak and mahogany adjustable vehicle that could be a small car or a big truck and then put you in it and then changed you to be either uh, like a super tall man or a very small woman and let you do ergonomic assessments. So at that time, we were limited to 60,000 polys in our entire scene. Wow. I know. (laughs) So we were culling data and, you know, massaging things. And we'd say, you know, two weeks and we'll have something for you. And we were really working hard because you'd have to try to represent a vehicle and a person and an environment in 60,000 polys. So you can imagine what it looked like. It wasn't very pretty, but uh, we actually were able to get some value out of it. So we progressed from those days to working more in um, with better tools and optical motion tracking became a thing. So that was a big advancement. So we can now work within prototypes of vehicles and it really opened up another whole set of um, possibilities for us. And so we worked in that regard. And in, in the, at that time, I 
really realize the benefit of doing passive haptics. So putting some of the physical world together with a lot of the virtual world is a really wise idea. And I still think that holds true today. So we you know, worked on that and then really the tech evolved, got uh, better visual quality. Um, and then the next big advancement was really the amount of data that we could put in a model and study. So instead of these 60,000 polygons that were so limiting in what we could do, we were able to get engineering data, real vehicle data that represented the CAD geometry that was being uh, produced and had a lot of engineering integrity behind it, and then start to get other aspects of engineering, like some computer-aided engineering, some analytics in the models, and kind of take it from there. And then from there, it went to real-time ray tracing, you know, looking at an environment that had uh, real-time reflections in it, measured materials, and all of that goodness. So in the end, it uh, by the time I uh, left Ford Motor Company, it was um, quite a nice suite of tools that had a very deep foundational use in uh, product development and uh, for manufacturing assessments too. I wonder if it would be, uh, you know, something that would even be, would even be possible would be to recreate you know, the timeline of VR through the lens of what you guys were working on from, you know, from the 60,000 polys to, you know, real-time ray tracing. And for those of you who are listening who don't know, ray tracing is the ability to uh, to create reflections of light from different angles. And, you know, and that's really important uh, when you're looking at a, a vehicle, especially you want to see what does it look like in the daylight and in the, in the evening and when the moon's shining off of it. And you guys... You, you showed in one of your presentations, probably the most photorealistic looking vehicle. I mean, if you looked at it, you would think it was just a photograph of a car, um, but it's in VR. And so you're looking at this car and it, it looks exactly like a car standing in front of you. And I mean, that is a far uh, cry from where you guys started off. And it would be interesting to see, you know, <clears throat> in a virtual reality timeline, that sort of progression. Indeed, right. And uh, the so the interesting thing about that is the realism actually comes from physics. And I, I love that. I, I think that's how it should be. So the way the light is being propagated in the scene is based on calculations of the way light behaves physically. And the materials that are in the scene are defined according to how they appear physically. And I think that is a differentiator in uh, how you do virtual reality and actually visual part of VR for enterprise, because the uh, direction that you're heading is foundationally correct. It's not, oh, this looks really cool. It looks really real. It actually has science behind it. And I think that's a really important distinction. So, you know, you, you, we've kind of come a long way since the beginning days, but let's talk more about the the actual kind of ROI use case, you know, of what you guys were doing at Ford and, and what you're kind of propagating with your new company, Immersionary Enterprises. The, I think the biggest thing that that you mentioned uh, is the collaborative tools, being able to to collaborate. And I know there was a study recently, or a, kind of a case study, of Bell Helicopter. You know, normally it takes them five to six years to design a helicopter and using virtual reality, they did it in six months. You know, were you guys seeing similar or, or you know, were you seeing better, faster times to market? And, you know, what did that look like? Absolutely. Uh, better, faster time to market, more things that could be studied in a shorter period of time. So in other words, getting answers sooner, being directionally correct sooner um, and also the way in which the teams worked changed so that the, not only did the answers happen, uh, better and you get, uh, you know, faster results for those answers, but you're able to propagate the information, um, sooner as well. So more teams can benefit. So there's a, a ripple effect in the way 
product development is done and the way that uh, the information is uh, obtained and disseminated. And it's real time too. So, you know, real time collaboration really uh, is, is key here. I think one of the things that, you know, you are really pushing towards is kind of real time collaboration and communication. And I think being able to stand in, you know, one of the first experiences I ever had in social VR was, was in alt space. And I, you know, I just remember somebody talking to me and I turned around, I, I couldn't, I was like, what? <laughs> they said, oh, you're new here, obviously, because, you know, you don't know what's going on. And just that ability to, to see somebody else, talk to them. But I mean, you guys took it to the next level. You know, I think in one of the talks you mentioned um, that uh, your executives at Ford all go into VR now to before a car is even made. Absolutely. And I, I, uh, I thought long and hard about what VR would be good for, what AR would be good for, what um, unique advantages it may or may not have. Um, and one of the things that holds true that I think you're getting at is immersion is social. Um, it allows us to amplify meaningful communications and we can create these infinitely scalable connected spaces where we can all relate to the, the thing we're producing or the, you know, whatever your enterprise is doing, you're, you, everybody knows that and they're masters in their own discipline in that thing that you're making. And then when you come together as a globally connected team, you can really uh, create this experience where everyone has a voice everyone's function gets to be uh, properly represented in context. And it allows these really complex stories to be told amongst these multidisciplinary teams in a way that's, I believe, like no other form of communication. It's pretty incredible. I, my uh, interview earlier today was with um, the president of HTC Vive, uh, Alvin uh, Wangraylin. And one of the things that they announced last week at the Vive um, conference is that they're now doing eye tracking and uh, and hand tracking and lip tracking. And I think, you know, these are new, you know, fairly new technologies. I mean, I'm sure you guys were doing some sort of hand tracking with either controllers or gloves, but to be able to have native hand tracking, just put on a headset, you can see what other people are doing. You can kind of engage with them. That's that's a game changer. And being able to look somebody in the eyes and understand their body language, uh, you know, I think in a design standpoint, when you're having conversations, I think that's very important. Can you maybe speak to how these types of new technologies are going to really uh, enhance the the experience for users? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I a couple of points stand out to me on that. One is that immersion is a holistic paradigm. So you can represent, you can be represented, you can see others who are represented, and then you can look at a world that really doesn't exist. And then the more we move toward experiences that have zero physical interface, where we have to put on something or do something different in order to get in that world, the better off we are. And even though with a Vive, of course, you're wearing a device on your face, but it's doing so much. I mean, that is just really exciting technology because now you can represent uh, some form of uh, communication regarding how you're feeling about things. And uh, it kind of breaks down some of those barriers that I think are there when, especially an executive, a, a C-suite person puts a headset on and then they can't see anyone anymore. And they're wondering what other people are uh, reacting to. And I think it's important to have the dynamic of the person in that environment also represented. So the more we add in to the environment that is like the physical world and the easier it is so we don't feel like we're a cyborg when we get in that world, the better this technology will take off and be adopted. I agree. And I think there's um, some interesting kind of overlap between, you know, virtual reality and mixed reality or, or being able to kind of see 
these types of design uh, communications in augmented reality. And I know HoloLens is really kind of leading the way with enterprise augmented reality, mixed reality. Um, is, is that a technology that you guys uh, used before or you, that you're using now with clients? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Uh, mixed reality is uh, extremely beneficial. And there is a lot of um, goodness in the physical world as the main um, part of your experience and then augmenting that with virtual data that represents the art of the possible. So it's it, what I love about the immersive paradigm is you can go full virtual or really full physical because you can be immersed in something physical um, and really get benefit out of learning about what's new. Absolutely. So let me ask you more you know, on a personal note, what is one of the best VR experiences you've ever had? Oh, wow. That's such a great question. Um, let me think. I don't know if I could say just one. Um, I will tell you, how about if I tell you one of the most meaningful VR experiences I've ever had? <laughs> How's that sound? Sounds great. Sure. And you, you can okay. list many if you want. I mean, we're here to learn. Okay. So, so all right. So um, I think um, the most meaningful experience I had was around putting together the physical world and the virtual world um, about the time when I would say I had my new eyes and I could see in stereo. So that is the most meaningful experience I've ever had because All right. I, All right. we got to just I go back couldn't... a little bit because I know this story <laughs> and I think it's important. So you've spent your entire career working in virtual worlds and up until fairly recently, you couldn't see in three dimensions in stereoscopic view. Is that correct? That is true. So here you are leveraging the power of a technology that just screams three dimensions and you couldn't experience it. That's right. So you got a surgery, they fixed that. And what was it like to go in the first time after your surgery and just, you know, experience full three dimensions in a virtual space? It was, it was amazing. It, so um, after I had my surgeries, they basically, um, I describe it in automotive terms. They did, they, I had bad camber, caster and toe. <laughs> so my eyes were misaligned in three directions and they basically realigned them. And it allowed me to triangulate and form a stereoscopic image and see in 3D. Uh, and after a period of adjustment, because uh, you can imagine my world was all new and everything was really great and really horrible at the same time. But the first time I got immersed and I looked in at the data and I could see, uh, I stood behind a, um, a vehicle and, and it had, it was like a hatchback and they opened up the hatch so I could see in. And the, the feeling of, of uh, like the vanishing point and the seats in front of the seats and just, and I was moving my head and I watched the data, uh, you know, move dimensionally with me. I had never seen that before. And, and so what it taught me, and this is the reason why I'm bringing it up is I think the immersive paradigm has a cognitive emotional aspect to it that you can't get by looking at a flat screen. So the meaning behind it and what I got out of it was that the, the, the emotional connection you get when you are in your world or you are in a virtual world and you are learning and sharing and discovering with other people, that is really profound. And when you share something with somebody and you're together and excited as a team about this uh, product that you're putting together, uh, I never really fully understood the, the power of the connection of immersion before I had my surgeries. I just thought it was, you know, useful because it was virtual data and you could say option A and option B and kind of look at things. I, that's really where I was at. And then when I had my surgeries, I was just blown away by all of the information 
that I could get out of this environment and how I could talk to somebody else about it and they related to it. It's interesting that you talk about, you know, the amount of data and, and you're a very analytical person in, you know, I'm sure kind of over the course of your career, you've managed to collect, you know, millions of data points um, of, of data from each of these things. What is the main driver? So, you know, Ford's a, a very large company and they can afford to have kind of skunk works, you know, departments and things like this, but your department wasn't the skunk works. This isn't some, you know, some VR lab in the corner that, you know, is, you know, used once a week. This is something that is used by designers and, you know, C levels right across the enterprise all the time now as a tool. This is, this is like, you know, you're having Adobe and, and having computers on your desk. This is not, this is not something, it's not a, a kitschy toy. This is a real tool. And when did it go from being, a tool or a toy to, or, or, you know, a skunk works project to being a real validated tool that, that drives ROI. Yeah. So that's funny because while you're talking, I'm thinking about all the times I was like in a garage, you know, with a heater space heater over my head. (laughs) It was really interesting because uh, I was always grateful that Ford let me try and let me uh, experiment until the time was right to deploy. So I, I really always appreciated that I had that capability to be like a startup in a multinational company. Um, but I didn't necessarily have a lot of resources to get it done for a long time because the timing just wasn't right for the tech. But the uh, answer to your question is, the collaborative paradigm was the the one single thing that sold the tech. So in, um, I think it was in 2012, there was a need to do a series of collaborative reviews with Australia. And there was a large contingent of people that, uh, including an executive team that wanted to go to Australia, but had a hard time with their schedules. And then I asked if they could try doing a global collaborative immersive review instead. So I literally had a, I don't know, maybe 10 or 15 C-level people in my lab, which was really a hoist area. It was a garage at the time. And one guy is holding a dowel rod with, you know, motion, you know, uh, markers on it, mocap markers. Uh, and a headset and they're looking at a 46 inch screen TV, but they're seeing what somebody from Australia is seeing. And then somebody from Dearborn, Michigan was looking at what, uh, you know, conversely what somebody in Australia is doing. And that uh, collaboration really sealed it. And they could immediately start to discover uh, things about the product that were good, things that were needed changing, and they canceled the trips to Australia, and they just did a series of immersive reviews, and they could see the power in it. And at that point, uh, some investment came, and the uh, technology grew from you know the garage band type approach to a very well structured. Uh, enterprise deployment where model prep was handled easily. So we worked out uh, pipeline and platform issues and worked to make it global so that we had countries from around the world participating in these immersive reviews. And so when I left, we, I looked back and there were, I looked at the amount of attendees going to reviews in a year and there was over 10,000 people who somehow or other witnessed an immersive review in a year globally. That's just phenomenal. That's incredible. Wow. That's incredible. So you, you literally kicked off uh, immersion, uh, collaborative immersion tools for one of the world's largest companies. Yeah, I know. Wow, cool when you say it that way. <laughs> and one of the things I, I probably should point out is, well, a couple things. One is nobody does this alone. So I worked with a lot of really smart people 
to make things happen. So, um, you know, as, as they say, when you're raising children, you can only take part of the credit and part of the blame <laughs> for whatever happens. Um, and another thing that I, I think is really important and another uh, part of the reason why it took off besides the, the obvious benefits of collaboration, it was the simplicity of how we work in the, with immersive technology. Um, I think it's really, really important to provide a incredibly simple, very useful method to get immersion, uh, immersed in a world. So I came up with these um, things called like the tenets of immersion. And mm. they were, I know it sounds so formal, but um, it's basically um, what we would do and we would try to never violate these tenants so that people could come in and understand their data at, with little or no training. And so by the end, I think it's basically no training, like literally put this thing on your head and start, you know, moving around in the virtual world and it's going to make sense. So we, we got it down to about 30 seconds by the time you know, I left, but I think that's um, important to know how, like know your um, audience for enterprise and know that they're extremely busy people and they really don't um, want to or shouldn't have to take the time to learn a, a whole new way of interacting with data. What are the tenets of immersion that you've come up with? Let, let's can you can you outline those or some of them or yeah so the the tenants of immersion are uh really about um how quick and easy it is to get immersed so um the other uh thing I called them at one time was the prime directive <laughs> and so it's basically it will be quick and easy to get immersed it it will allow we can simulate any potential reality um, I'm going from memory here. Uh, the uh, hardware that we use will be simple. It will be unobtrusive and it will allow a natural navigation and interaction with the virtual world. And then regarding what you see and how you experience it, it will be uh, realistic when that's you know, it for especially for enterprise and when it has to do with engineering, realism is key. Um, sometimes with art, it's not. Uh, if you're trying to do something more artsy, you really don't want realism. But anyway, realistic, um, real time. So um, as far as keeping up frame rates and making sure the experience is um, a smooth and steady one. Um, collaborative so that you can share between the people in the team. And uh, for automotive, I think we also had that it should be full scale um, for when we were looking at vehicles. So looking at a model and not knowing how you relate to that data um, could be death for understanding how to assess uh, the goodness or badness of the features. So if you're looking at tolerance between body panels and you have no idea what your frame of reference is with the vehicle that you're looking at, you can't really assess accurately if that's a good or a bad margin. That's a really good point. So to recap, the tenants of immersion are how quick and easy it, you can be get right into it and get immersed. Um, the fact that you can simulate any potential environment or application. The hardware has to be simple and, and uh, unobtrusive and, and work in a natural way. It has to be realistic, uh, both in graphics and in user interface. It has to be real time. The, the frame rates must be quick and fast. It must be collaborative and also be able to be in full scale so you understand what it really does. Is there anything else that we've missed? Nope, that's it. Wonderful. That That is a great framework. And I, I, I'm going to put that in the show notes for people because I think that's really important. 
The XR for Business podcast is brought to you by my employer, Metaverse, a global leader in XR strategy and product development. Metaverse has a range of products to help you leverage the transformative power of virtual, augmented, and mixed reality in your company. If you want to keep up to date with all things XR, you can sign up for our daily or weekly newsletter at xrforbusiness.io, xrforbusiness.io. You know, one of the interviews I did earlier today was with uh, Alvin from uh, HTC Vive, and what they've just introduced last week is a multi-user experience, up to 40 users at once, using only four trackers, and they can do up to 900,000 square foot space. (laughs) That's awesome. (laughs) Right? And these are tetherless, so these are are, uh, the Vive Focus, which are the, the standalone headsets. Now... You know, knowing that, how is that going to change how enterprises use this? You don't need a powerful computer anymore. You don't need a backpack. You just put on this headset. You got a hand controller, six degrees of freedom, and you can walk around in a 900,000 square foot collaborative space. How would that have changed the work you were doing there? And, and how do you think that's going to impact the work that people are doing around the world? That is um, amazing. And I think it will have a game-changing effect um, for what uh, I was doing at Ford and what I would recommend for a lot of enterprise. Um, I think it should be used with um, caution and be used um, judiciously. So what I could see this being really good for is uh, there are times when a product gets to a certain phase where you build one. So let's say you build a a prototype of a airplane and you have this whole uh, plane and its entirety. Um, and maybe you're looking at inside the cabin and you're like looking at the um, issues associated with the, the uh, passengers in, in cabin. Um, I can see for aerospace doing interactions with a, a group of passengers and doing role-playing and um, like storytelling with multiple people and really going through a whole scenario about the usability and the uh, ergo and UX concerns for like in-cabin experiences. Um, I can see it for uh, different people that have different functions, being able to um, all say things like uh, be together in the environment and then point out their concern, kind of sharing the ball, so to speak, um, and working through issues just like you would if you were standing at a physical model or, you know, uh, working together in the physical world. Um, I think the the cautionary note is that just like meetings when everybody's talking, <laughs> there will be some uh rule Robert's rules of order for immersion, I think, now that uh, these possibilities exist for us. I think that's a really good point. I, I think the the fact that, you know, and I think some of the social VR uh, things like alt space and Facebook spaces and these things, they've actually built in um, certain protocols that you you can basically silence everybody or silence people that are, you know, kind of outside of your purview. The other thing they've done, and this is something that, you know, nobody really would have thought of is uh, creating like a personal space bubble. So when you're in VR, you can walk right up to somebody and you could actually like kind of walk through them because they're not real. Um, I think this, the personal space issue is, is real. And I, and I, I think it's only when you're kind of in a virtual space and somebody walks up and really close to you, it's this freaky, Hey, (laughs) I'm actually here. What are you doing? Right. Exactly. Exactly. And we'll need to, I think there will be many awkward immersions (laughs) while we figure out how these things uh, should be deployed and how we uh, work together and share. And it's, it's, um, it's a net gain. It just, we just need to um, do it properly so that VR doesn't get a bad name again for another whole set of reasons. (laughs) Absolutely. And I think, you know, that, that leads me to a question and this is, 
Um, this is interesting for the listeners, I think, to understand where we are in kind of, let, let's say, zero being, uh, you know, 20 years ago where, you know, it didn't really work, even even five years ago when we didn't really have VR, to where it's like completely ubiquitous and everybody uses it. It's used in every company for everything. Where do you think we are on the kind of that zero to 10 timeline, let's say? For VR use and deployment and enterprise? VR and AR, kind of all of the, you know, the XR technologies. XR tech um, in enterprise. Um, yeah. I, I think it's more, we're probably at a six for VR and a two for AR. That's what I would say. I'd say we have a lot of um, capabilities to yet conquer a lot of um, data that still can be embedded. Um, so I, I still think we're more at the beginning of this journey than um, solid implementation. Um, years ago, not very many, maybe two years ago, I brought a gentleman into Ford um, and he was a supplier and he said, uh, you know, Elizabeth, usually when I come to a big enterprise like this, I meet the VR person and then they take me into the basement and to a room with a bunch of cables and headsets. <laughs> and that's where they hold these evaluations. And um, that really struck me because I, I think he was nicely um, complimenting the the. Um, the five technology that we had at Ford. But the thing that about it is, is I still think in some regards we're there. Um, and we need to get to the point where the immersive paradigms, all XR is part of the platform by which uh, companies do product development. And then there is a pipeline so that you can get data easy and you can see it when it's relevant and look at it in context. It's interesting. I think Microsoft is really, especially pioneering this with their, you know, their mixed reality platforms. They're really um, pushing the limits of this technology. And they realize the same thing that you just said, that if the systems, the new XR systems, you know, HoloLens and these, if they don't work with traditional systems, you know, if you can't import your CAD models or your BIM plans, or, you know, if you can't, instantly use the, the tools and tool sets that you're already working with, uh, this technology is not really going to take off. So I, I think you nailed it on that one. One of the, the questions I have for everybody is what is the most impressive business use case of this technology that you have seen? Oh, um, I would say the most impressive use case is looking at a vehicle um, in the context of all of the possibilities or a representative large amount of possibilities of how it could be built. And then being able to bring that data in, so representing any potential build condition uh, prior to any prior to the meeting. So in other words, literally walking in and saying, oh, I just emailed you a spreadsheet, a big CSV file that has all of the uh, tolerance conditions that happen on this car, apply it to my car and then look at it. To me, that was the first time That's we, be yeah, awesome. we did that. I was just like blown away because first of all, there was no pre-work because that gets back to my earlier comment about platform and pipeline. It's built on how the company works. And then second of all, that you can study all of those things and decide which things are relevant and then look at the, the vehicle in that regard. And then like re, um, kind of do a detective work going back so that you can apply these conditions to that uh, runtime module that's just amazing to me it's fantastic i think there's just i mean 
every time I do one of these interviews, there's completely new ways of using this technology. It, it blows my mind every single time. And, and I'm, I'm just, you know, I tried VR five years ago and I put it on my head and, and it was a concert and I was standing on stage and that was kind of my aha moment when I realized that this is the future of human communications. And, you know, for the last five years, I've been studying this industry, looking at all the business use cases, you know, medical, there's a huge, you know, huge push in medical to use VR for training and for, you know, uh, pre-visualizations of surgeries and prepping, uh, you know, patients to know what's going to happen and showing doctors visualizations of surgeries and, you know, pharmaceuticals, how they work. And it, it, you know, that's medical. Then you've got engineering design, you've got HR training. Now it's being used for empathy training. It's being used Mm -hmm. for uh, retail. There's literally no end to this. And I mean, if you look at what you guys were doing in the design side of Ford, you also were were doing it on the kind of sales and promotion side, you know, at, at car shows and showing potential customers what the the new cars that aren't even built yet are going to look like. Exactly. I know. And then you think that the same data that you're using for development, you can use for marketing. As time marches on and the uh, data becomes mature and then it gets ready for prime time, so to speak, that's just a a whole progression and certainty in the way that you're working that is just it's really beneficial and it's highly productive i love the idea of being able to you know use the data for engineering and and that sort of thing in design but also then you know send that over to your you know your developers and this is something that i've been trying to kind of articulate with with the workshops that we're doing as well is that you know it costs a lot of money to build a, a 3d object let's say you want to build a new car you know you've got to build the seats and it's it's quite costly but once you have that 3D model, you can use it in, you know, for design, you can use it for sales and marketing, you can use it in AR for, you know, let's say Snapchat, you can export it as a different file, you can use it for Snapchat or Facebook, there's a million ways you can use it on web as a web 3D visualizer. Um, there's a million ways to use these 3D assets. And one of the things that I see as being one of the biggest potential um, possibilities of this technology is once the world moves to spatial computing, every single object, whether it be a car or a bottle of water, will need to be converted to 3D. And so there's a huge push now for 3D artists and graphic renderers and you know, to create these tw- you know, digital twinning of the world. And I, I think it's a really awesome space to be in, and, and I, I'm really super excited for it. So my question is, what do you see for the future of XR technologies as it relates and pertains to business. Oh, so I'm uh, well for that answer and related to what you just said. Uh, I see a really great integration with AI, a, a deep learning approach where what we're seeing, we're actually getting data imparted to us and imparting data to others. So if you just think about the power, how much are we throwing away right now in enterprise by looking at problems and then not realizing uh, like uh, through the pipelines what those problems are. So if somebody, uh, a human inherently sees that there's a problem, they can flag it as an issue somehow. And that's a way, but just think if you look at data and either you flag it as a problem or the system realizes that maybe the tolerances are off or the material is wrong or just whatever the, the issue is, and then provides you the relevant information about that so that you can start to solve the problem. Just think how cool that would be. It's incredible. You know, I, I kind of study, uh, you know, futurism a little bit and I, I dabble in, you know, what's co- what's going to happen when, you know, AI and robotics replace uh, a lot of the jobs. But I really think they're, while they'll replace jobs, they're going to create so many more opportunities than, than we can't even think of what they're going to create. And you nailed it when you said uh, bringing AI into the mix is really uh, part of it, machine learning, computer vision. Um, you know, these are, deep, deep neural networks. These are all parts and parcels and you can't really have 
virtual and augmented reality, true, uh, true performance uh, without 5G, without IoT sensors, you know, being able to walk through a factory floor. And even though the robots are all kind of working away, being able to put on a headset and easily look at the machines and see, a, you know, a green, red or yellow light above them. And as you walk closer, that, you know, that red light kind of opens up and tells you the full, you know, information about that system. That's that's already happening now, but I mean, it, that's we're only scratching the surface of what's possible in that. Exactly, and that's why on that continuum of where are we with XR technologies, I really think we're just starting because there's this whole component. I mean, just think about training a model as you're immersed. Oh, that's going to be crazy. It's crazy. I, I mean, here's the other thing. I just read a, a paper on... Um, collecting personal data, but it's not from, you know, your, your surfing history or that sort of thing. It's literally your, your, your eye tracking. Cause all the new headsets are going to have eye tracking. They also have positional tracking. So they know your height, they know your gait, they know your, how you walk, how you move. And they're collecting body language data in a way that we've never, ever, ever in human history been able to collect. I mean, you can do body pose estimations and stuff, but nothing as accurate as hand tracking and facial tracking. And, you know, HTC Vive announced last week, they're even doing lip tracking to, you know, and so you're able to capture the true essence of somebody's intent uh, without them even, you know, knowing it. And I mean, it opens up some crazy privacy issues, but for enterprise, this unlocks a new level of, of data set. And of course it's, it's unlocking crazy amounts of data that we're going to need AI to, to analyze, but this unlocks, you know, so much potential in the enterprise. It's incredible. It's, it, it really is an exciting time to be in this space. And I agree with you that although some jobs might be, um, you know, obsolete, others will come. And I think it will provide even more opportunities and more exciting, uh, like, uh, just ways to make a living, I suppose, in the future. Absolutely. I think, you know, so here, I'm, I'm actually going to go back in my notes here for a second, because something that I, I read this morning, um, you know, there's, it's going to give us better ways to, to work, you know, being able to, you know, most people sit at a cubicle, but being able to put on a headset, and instead of looking at a, you know, a 20 inch screen, I can now have 20, 20 inch screens around me or, or, you know, 100 inch screen. And instead of sitting in a cubicle, I'm now sitting on a beach. Exactly. And, you know, just being able to give people a better uh, environment in which to work, I think is really going to decrease stress. Um, as things move faster and faster and faster, these tools are going to give us the ability to, to work faster, which, and more efficient. And, and I think everybody's kind of running on a treadmill trying to catch up, but I think these tools will really give us uh, the opportunity to to catch up um, and, and get ahead because we're entering in, as you know, we're entering the exponential age of humanity and we don't really know what's going to come out on the other side of this. You know, Exactly, are, it's so true. 10 years ago, app developer wasn't a job. Now it's everybody's job. You know, and in 10 years from now, is coder going to be a job or is code going to code itself? We don't know. Right. Right. Exactly. Ah, it's fun times, but you're right about better ways to work and better environments. And I think uh, if you look at the progression of the change of work, a lot of people, their office is at home. And I think the immersive paradigm will allow people to have their office be their home, but then also be able to be uh, connected virtually with somebody else who's also maybe their office is their home and maybe now they're in a collaborative session or maybe they're looking at the product that they're, you know, analyzing in some regard. I mean, it's just, it's, it's so much better. I can't wait. So I'm going to ask you one more question and then we'll wrap up um, for the listeners that are just kind of learning about VR and AR and, and MR for the first time. What is your kind of practical advice for somebody who's looking at this for the very first time to get started in this technologies and, and what is your recommendation for them to just start working in this technology? Um, so I would say uh, tackle a problem that you know needs a solution. So find 
something in your organization that is a persistent issue that is really uh, tough to solve with the standard practices that are uh, used to tackle that problem currently, and then apply uh, some form of XR to that problem and show it as uh, the for the benefits that you're getting out of it and show how it can be the XR platform can be used to uh, understand deeply a problem and communicate effectively uh, between the different disciplines and then um, tackle things on a case-by-case -case basis for a period of time and then build up a library of related cases that you can start getting um, people in your enterprise to see that these things are, they're not just disconnected things, they actually relate to how we're making our product and, and we have these value, valuable ways of gaining insight that we did not in the past. Well, that is some sage advice from VR pioneer, Elizabeth Barron. Thank you so much. I'm, uh, I'm just so honored to have you on the show and I hope our listeners learned a lot on this. You know, we learned about the tenets of immersion you know, uh, the, the rules of order. It's been a fantastic uh, conversation. Thank you very much. Oh, you're welcome, Alan. Thank you very much for having me. It was a pleasure to uh, have this conversation. And thank you for listening. This has been the XR for Business podcast with your host, Alan Smithson. This podcast was another amazing example of how XR technologies are revolutionizing business across every industry. You can learn more about Immersionary Enterprises by visiting Immersionary.net, I-M-M-E-R-S-I-O-N-A-R-Y.net. I want to also thank our sponsor, Metaverse, and remind listeners that if you're interested in booking a free consultation to learn how XR technologies can be used for your business, please contact us at metaverse.com, M-E-T-A-V-R-S-E.com. And Elizabeth, thank you again for joining on the show. Yeah, thank you for having me.